Battle Maps of the Civil War, the Western Theater. I'm Chris Mikowski, and today on the Emerging Civil War podcast, we'll talk with historian Chris White and mapmaker Steve Stanley about their new book from the American Battlefield Trust, today on the Emerging Civil War podcast. Don't forget to check out the Emerging Civil War bookshelf. Our historians have had some great titles released lately. New from the American Battlefield Trust is Battle Maps of the Civil War, the Western Theater, with maps by Steve Stanley and text by ECW co-founder Chris White, who's the Senior Education Manager at the Trust. There's Brian Matthew Jordan's A Thousand May Fall, Life, Death, and Survival in the Union Army, which focuses on the 107th Ohio Volunteer Infantry, a regiment Brian calls at once both exceptional and representative. That's available from Liverite Publishing. And don't forget about Dave Powell's The Impulse of Victory, Ulysses S. Grant at Chattanooga from Southern Illinois University Press, part of the World of Ulysses S. Grant series. And, of course, there's Embattled Capital, A Guide to Richmond in the Civil War by Bert Dunkerley and Doug Crenshaw, the latest book in the Emerging Civil War series published by Savas Beatty. We're glad to have the presses rolling again after a long pandemic hiatus. Our next ECWS book will be coming out in early March. Dwight Hughes' Unlike Anything That Ever Floated. The Monitor, the Virginia, and the Battle of Hampton Roads. Check that out in March. You can find out more about each of these titles and more on our website, www.emergingcivilwar.com. Welcome to the Emerging Civil War podcast. I'm Chris Mikowski, and joining me today... Uh, is my Emerging Civil War co-founder, Chris White, the Senior Education Manager of the American Battlefield Trust. Chris, hello. How are you doing? Uh, very good. How is my uh, second wife doing right now? Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Thank good. you. <laughs> and uh, also joining us is the man, the myth, the cartography legend, Stephen Stanley, um, coming to us from the hangar where the Millennium Falcon was par- parked just moments ago, and I see it zooming off behind you there. Steve, how are you doing? No, I'm doing fine. How are you doing, Chris? Doing nice to see another Chris, too. I rarely get to see him. <laughs> yeah, we talk a lot by email, but never get to see each other. <laughs> right, it's true. And I would go so far as to say that Steve's work is among the most iconic, recognized work in the entire Civil War community, because he is the mastermind behind the maps that people get from the American Battlefield Trust. And uh, people love those maps, Steve. Um, it, really, I, I don't. I'm not exaggerating. I think that those are just so iconic. A fantastic work. Well, thank you very much. You know, I, I enjoy doing them too and putting them out there. So we're talking with Chris and Steve today because they have collaborated on Volume Two of Battle Maps of the Civil War. And Chris will show this off here in a little uh, fancier way than than my screen share will do. Um, but uh, they've got a new map book from the Trust of Civil War maps. Uh, Battlefield Maps of the Civil War of the Western Theater. There we go. And uh, this features uh, Steve's maps and Chris's text. And uh, let me just ask each of you, um, what was it like for you guys to work on this book together? And uh, Steve, maybe I can have you start first. 
it was enjoyable. It's a, you know, it was really pulling up all the stuff that we've been doing over the years and adding a few new maps to it. But it was, you know, it was nice working with Chris and, and also um, John and the trust as well. So it, you know, the three of us working together was fantastic and I enjoyed it. See, Chris, some people like, like working with me and writing with me. <laughs> it's an acquired taste, right? Yeah, oh, very okay. much. <laughs> no, as Steve brings up a, a good point. We, we do have a third silent partner, John Mitchell, who is our internal GIS uh, uh, guy at the Trust. So we, we technically have two map guys, as we call them. Steve is more of the front facing, and John does a lot of our internal map work. He does the reviews of Steve's maps, helps to um, plot the lands that we've saved or we're thinking about saving, trying to preserve uh, gets those over to Steve. Steve is going to update our, our maps. And then John does a lot of our internal real estate maps. They're the maps that, the, that are not front facing because believe me, they're not worth looking at to, to the general public. They're just very ugly looking maps. And what Steve does is take those very ugly maps and makes them look very, very pretty and brings the history and the kind of the modern flair to life. Yeah. Steve, you have amassed a pretty incredible body of work uh, creating these maps for the trust for so long. Do you want to just talk a little bit about how you first got involved in this cartography? Yeah, um, it started back in the mid nine uh, mid nineteen nineties. I was um, working with is it uh, sorry new server. I I've met some people with the Central Virginia Battlefields Trust, and we're you know I was a graphic designer at the time and. I started talking to them. I wanted to contribute my way, you know, in any way, just other than just giving them money. I wanted to you know, give them something back. So I started doing free graphics work for them. Dealing with that, we worked with the, um, the National Park Service because we we're closely with the National Park Service in Fredericksburg. And so one day, um, Bob Crick came to me and said, you know, hey, we're doing this map series. Would you like to work on spots of any courthouse? Instead yeah, of, um, I, that's that's got to be like the Godfather coming to you and saying, That's true. That is true. It was, it was a very, it was an honor to work with him. With, well, I actually worked with Frank O'Reilly one him with those, but Bob's the one that it, it started the ball rolling. So, yeah, my first one for Ray was 25 large scale maps of the battle spots of any courthouse. You know, so that started, started the ball rolling and, and, you know, here and there started working for uh, Richmond. And then one day I met, um, um, Melissa Sadler now I can't I can't remember her her, her maiden name was but now Melissa from the trust at an event and I got invited to come to the trust and, you know and, and um, just show what I, I do and then it went from there I started doing work for the trust and you know, I think my, our first map was Battle Cross Keys and how long ago was that I'm, I'm putting you on the spot I know I know um, probably 1998. Now, if you had to spitball, how many maps do you think you have made since 1998? Oh, I mean, making them, remaking them, or just all brand, all individual maps? Probably all individual maps since 98. Probably close to five, six hundred of them. You know, mm -hmm. my 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 um, external hard drive is full of maps for the trust. <laughs> <laughs> because when you say remaking, like as they acquire new land and they have to highlight new properties, you've got to readjust things, right? that too and also as time goes along we, things do get missed you know we're putting the um the histories the um, troops in place and well you know someone said oh you missed you know this regiment here and so they're pulling up okay we did miss it or we didn't miss it sometimes you know they just they think we did but sometimes we did miss something so we'll, we'll readjust it and put it back out there again so yeah. that happens quite a bit you know 
of just you know just human error. We just you know everyone just misses uh, minor little things. You that look you look at the overall picture, not the minute details sometimes. I've got to imagine that there are some people out there that collect those like baseball cards. So like you know when you get the one that's printed upside down and like oh this one's a collector because it doesn't include that particular regiment which they then updated and, uh. um i'm sure there are people who do that yes <laughs> I, I, I know there are people who do collect them quite a bit and the old um editor of the hollow ground uh, julie fix or julie donny at the time she used to hate people would talk to her and say oh yeah i get the magazine but i always rip out the uh, the maps and throw the rest of the magazine away she used to hate when they said that to her <laughs> Yeah, we were talking about when we just got on that, that a lot of people have their own binders of Steve Stanley maps and, and they will call us at the trust if they didn't get a map or they've lost a map or they got water damage on it. And then it became so popular to have these three ring binders. We actually started supplying them through our, our online store at battlefields.org. And we thought, you know, some people would buy them. We sold out of them and they also complained we didn't have front pockets in them but for them to tuck things into and so we've, we've made changes and, and listened to them with, with that way but yes yeah, steve has a cult following coming behind him and it's it's funny that you mentioned that cross keys map that is one of jim lighthizer's first victories as president of the american battlefield trust and he had uh, on his wall up until just a few months ago when he retired, um, the newspaper clipping from the auction and going out there and helping to save that land. So, you know, one of Steve's first maps is one of Jim's first victories. Oh, wow. And so to see the organization and the cartography evolve together, that's a pretty cool story. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you pull my, my map up from back then to now, you can see the evolution of how I've actually changed throughout the years, too, you know adjusting things oh i don't like the way that looks now you know back then so i adjust things and you know it's, it's come to the point we have right now so what would be some of those adjustments that you've made over time steve different uh, size of troops you know sometimes you know i i would i would draw the thickness of the um the troop block and, and then later on say, it looks too thick now too bulky on the page so i'd adjust that just thin it out or actually going back you know, later on and make them the right size, actually trying to get them, you know, this regiment has 300 in it, this regiment has 200, and make sure they're, they're comparable in size too, you know, so think little things like that, or just how an arrow looks, you know, and uh, now I've been basically changing all the trees, you know, making them look not as bulky again too. And, and those are significant changes. I, I know some people will be like, oh gosh, what's the big deal? But like those maps do a lot of work. And I think about how much information you have to convey. And so you've really got to make it something that people can easily digest and, and process and move through. That is quite yeah. a challenge. Yeah, that is, and that is true. It's a, they, people always like the fact that they can see movement on my maps. You know, my maps are, do convey movement and said, that's why I make them as streamlined as possible so you can get more information in there. You know, myself personally, I like to, if I could do it, every battle have more than just one map. Because sometimes we just can't do that. You know, because you really can't convey everything that's happening on one map. You can get a good, a very good idea of everything that's happening, but you really can't convey all the little nuances in the battle. Yeah, and that makes me think of one of the maps that Steve's done for the wilderness, the Battle of the Wilderness and the, the Saunders Field section. There's so much that happens on May 5th up there and then into May 6th trying to convey the Union attack, the Confederate counterattacks, the extension of the uh, of the Union lines and the Confederate lines. I mean, 
you know, maps, what some people forget, and Chris and I have, uh, have complained about this in the past, and we're not cartographers, what people forget is that a lot of times a map is just a snapshot of one second of a battle. Um, so all you're seeing is a glimpse of the battle in, in some regards, you know, yes, the troop movements are moving forward, they're moving back, but, you know, like, oh, well, you don't have this person here or this here. Well, you know, 15 minutes from now, they moved into a different position, but, the, you know, this, this snapshot that we're showing, that's where they are, are at the time, and I think that's what folks need to, to understand sometimes is like, you know, and also read the legend because, you know, on a lot of our maps, Steve does it, you know, it says it's this time, this time, and this time we have, you know, a few different phases of battle. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, everyone's a critic. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you, Chris, as, as someone who's had to take battle information and try to translate it into a map form, what are some of the challenges for an author to try to, to translate that text into a map? Well, Steve has a, a really good essay in both volumes of our, our book, kind of talking about the process of making a map. And, you know, as a historian, we do a lot of what Steve does as a cartographer. And I pull the old maps um, to take a look at what it looked like at the time of the battle. Uh, and of course, compared it to today, the Salem Church battlefield is probably the best example of a lost battlefield and trying to figure out where to put people. You know, in 1863, it's a wide open fields. And then today it's a, you know, a 7-Eleven, a furniture, two furniture stores, Taco Bell, you know, anything else you can think of. So it's hard to, to visualize what it would look like. But then you have to really start reading the accounts of different things. And, and when you start getting into the accounts, they don't always agree with one another. You know, you'll have one brigade commander say one thing and maybe a regimental commander say another. So it, it, as we're talking, you know, I was working on some research last night trying to place a skirmish line on a on a different map for for Gettysburg and you know okay there are four companies of these skirmishers going out on the line uh, but where exactly did they do that was it at this point or that point so it's really trying to um, almost be a historian itself just to 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 do this is is trying to compare contrast and then see what everyone starts to say and then if you know 90 percent of the people say it was like this it probably was that way and every once in a while that 10 percent's right and we do find that out the hard way sometimes but it really is doing a lot of research a lot of reading and then trying to compare and contrast what it looked like on the ground so then steve you get a bunch of notes like this from a historian and then you've got to try to visualize that what happens next in the process for you as I say, the essay is that my first thing to actually do is actually locate the battle, locate the battlefield. You know, you have to both put it on the map itself. You know, just you know, everyone knows where Gettysburg is, Antietam, but there's other battlefields out there. You know, you really ha you know have a hard time pinpointing the exact location of that battle. So that's the, usually really the challenge right there. That's always the first thing I have to do. Then start pulling up other you know, historical maps. And modern maps, because I well, my maps you notice I actually have modern features in the background, just so we can help you can pinpoint yourself on the battle on that battlefield. So I'll pull up modern topography maps, historical ones, and then blend it together and make make my base map, you know, as as accurate as possible. Then pull in the research from what Chris has done or any other historian, and I pull. I have contemporary work. I have modern, you know, work. My library is full of stuff. You know, just to pull up and I'll start reading through. And I use it. My wife says she can tell when I'm busy. I have books all over my desk, back and forth. Look at this book. Well, he says here, he says, okay, they're agreeing. So they're like Chris said, you know, 90% of people, they agree that must be the right way. So that's what we, I do too. And follow all that, that back and forth to get, you know, figure out where the troops are going to go. 
you know, there's there's a great story from John Badger Batchelder, who's the official unofficial historian of Gettysburg. And he, he talks about in 1863, he, he late 63, he goes to visit the army, uh, Army of the Potomac, which is encamped around Culpeper Brandy Station area. And he meets with a brigade commander in the second corps and he has five regiments in it, which is is uh, John Rudder Brooks, old, or I'm sorry, Edward Cross's old brigade. So he goes in there to talk with all the regimental commanders and every one of them placed themselves differently on the line than the last person said and he walked out of there just completely confused and very you know flustered and he's not a trained historian nor was he a cartographer at the time um he does go on to make a, an inaccurate map of the battle of gettysburg it's beautiful but his his heights are off by like 120 feet um but you know he he, he does eventually make a map and everything but he's going through those same pains talking to the primary sources, meaning the people themselves who couldn't even put themselves in the right place. So sometimes it's, it's hard to, to place a regiment or to, to place even a feature on the ground because you have to remember, you know, a lot of the features have disappeared uh, from time to time or a feature is described five different ways by, you know, 10 different people. And, and you mentioned there, you know, sort of the heights are different. And, and Steve, I've got to imagine that kind of working three-dimensionally and then translating that two-dimensionally poses some interesting challenges as well. Yeah, it does. It, that's one reason I use um, modern, um, actually as close to uh, historical topography lines as you know, I can, but that helps give you an idea of where, you know, everybody was. In height-wise, you can tell where the, oh, the cannons were up here because this, you know, the, they're right behind the military crest or they're on the military crest. The, um, of the ridge or whatever it is. So yeah, it, it, if, if you can read a topo, uh, topo map, you, you can actually tell how high they are compared to some, you know, not everyone can read a topo map. So, you know, it's, it is a challenge there for, you know, for those people. Hey, Chris, I see you sort of nodding your head about the topo maps. <laughs> yes, having worked in a National Park Service Visitor Center, I've learned that people can't read basic maps and topo, topo maps are like going to grad school for maps for, for them. I mean, you have to become comfortable. And, and there are some great um, non-Steve Stanley maps out there that Trailhead Graphics have done for Gettysburg, Shiloh, Vicksburg that, that locate monuments on battlefields and other features. Um, but they are placed over topo maps. And if you're not comfortable with using a topo map, then, you know, it, it can be very tough. We actually made, uh, because someone internally at the trust didn't want to admit that they didn't know how to how to read a map. So maybe we should make a, a, a video about how do we read a map? And, you know, so we, we made one and there's one over on battlefields.org. But um, yeah, it's, it very much is is something that not everyone can, can read a map and, um, you know, and a lot of people love to be oriented when you go out onto a battlefield. I'm not a person who needs to turn the map whichever way I can see it. That's just kind of the me channeling at bars. Um, but with them, they can they can you know need to turn it a certain way. So everybody does learn differently, and everyone experiences things differently. Um, and I can't tell you how many times I've seen people out on out on the battlefields with either Steve's map or another map book or something, you know, turning every which way, trying to read it properly and figure out where everything sits. If I'm standing in this direction, looking in that direction, how's that orient to the map and and sort of twisting things around? And you know, that can be difficult for some people to get oriented that way. And that's why I. For myself, I do that on my maps. That's why I put modern features, modern roads on there so they can help orientate themselves to that map. They could say, oh, I mean, I'm standing on this road here. It wasn't there in the battle. It's a park road now or something, you know. And so it, help, it helps them orientate you know, to figure out where they are and what was happening around them. 
And I think that that's going to be really important for the trust's preservation mission. You know, when you're saying like, you know, here's this piece of land and here's why it's so important to save, having those modern features can really help visualize and, and, and that impact, I think. Yeah, we, we, I, we have a lot of maps that I know Steve's working on right now, a little project to show the evolution of our battlefields um, from when we started working on preserving battlefield land to what they look like today. And, and Perryville is a perfect example, the Perryville battlefield out in Kentucky of a battlefield that was very, you know, small, at least in, in terms of land preserved. And now it's it's looks like a, a massive nature preserve because of the amount of space that has now been preserved by us, Friends of Perryville and, and other groups out there. It's been great to see. Um, and those features do help to, to show the impact. I know, um, you know, when we were preserving the slaughter pen farm, one of the best things that we could do was show just how close the GM plant was was next to it, or uh, some of the artist renditions that, that kind of supported the maps that Steve was putting together. So uh, we're talking about battle maps of the Civil War, the Western theater, uh, although we haven't really talked about the book itself. So let's kind of talk about the book um, and maybe even back up and talk about volume one, which is the Eastern theater, which gets us to the Western theater, because you guys basically had to start from scratch and figure out how to put together a map book and then suddenly start kind of you know, creating this product from scratch. Uh, Chris, you want to kind of walk us through that lightning bolt when someone said, hey, we should do a map book. Well, that idea has come across a few times and, and the backstory behind it is is kind of funny and kind of like, ugh. But, um, <laughs> you know, we, we had a lot of members say, you know, you should put your, put your maps in a book. And, uh, you know, for a while it was, uh, do we want to put a book out there? Will it, will it make money? Because, you know, we are a nonprofit and the money from these go to battlefield preservation. Um, you know, so we use these with appeals for new new pieces of land and, and other things that we're working on. Um, and for a while, it just kind of simmered there. And then a whole committee of people got together and overthought the project. Uh, and then they finally decided, hey, we should talk to two people who actually wrote a book. And that, that was, you know, Steve, myself, Gary Edelman came in a little bit later. And you know, we started walking them through the process and I'm like, oh, this isn't as bad as it seems. And, and we kind of streamlined the process and decided we're going to make a map book. Uh, from there, it was what maps should, should we do? You know, what, what features should we take? And, um, you know, my idea was to, we should have a theme behind it uh, because that would be better than just putting all Steve's maps into a book. Um, and then just put a little bit of context with each one of the maps. You know, I have the easy job. All I have to do is is put a few words on a piece of page. Steve does the heavy lifting and all the pretty work. Um, and then it was, you know, what battles to choose. And that was more difficult than you would imagine because we are a land preservation organization. So do we show major battlefield lands where we may not have saved lands because it's important to the story? Uh, or should we just show places where we preserved battlefields. Um, and, and ultimately, the, the, we came up with a mixture and it is largely places where we saved land, uh, but it also breaks down to key moments of the Civil War that need to be talked about, uh, even if we didn't preserve land there. So we, so we mark that in the maps. I mean, one place we did not preserve any land uh, is for the Battle of the Monitor and the Merrimack. Uh, so it's out in the, you know, it's out in Hampton Roads. Um, and it's one of my favorite maps, actually, that we did. Uh, and it'll tell you on each page, you know, did we save land here? How much did we actually save? So every time you go through, you can see 
uh, where we preserve land. Fort Sumter is another example that shows up in the volume two of the book because technically that's the Western theater um, by the end of the Civil War. And so we didn't preserve land there, but it is crucial to telling the, the story of the Civil War. So that's how they kind of kind of went. And then it was, uh, Steve says he has 600 maps. What maps do we use um, of, of those? You know, what battlefield gets more maps and what doesn't? Um, and, and that was probably the hardest decision for us to make internally. And, you know, when you say like, well, what, what battle gets maps and what doesn't? And, and we all know that you could do like a battle maps of Gettysburg. There are people who would want super micro tactical play-by-play maps so so kind of sorting through all that content and and curating it um, I'm sure was a huge challenge it was and and you know making the decision again we are a land-based preservation organization uh, you know should we should we uh, put a map in here from this place and we also have to think about our partnerships we have great partners out there um, who also help preserve land or, or who work with us when we do preserve land at, at, at different uh, sites. So that was something else we had to take into consideration. So, you know, we, we decided with the first two books, especially the Eastern and Western theaters, they will, will focus on the large battles, um, you know, the key pivotal battles as they were, you know, places like Gettysburg, Antietam, Vicksburg, um, Shiloh, you know, the, those ones. And then as we go down the road, if the series continues to be successful, you know, we'll, we'll go off to these, um, you know, other off the beaten path as they were, you know, some of the battlefields and, and, and take a look at those. Uh, but, you know, we also do preserve other battlefields, with Revolutionary War and War of 1812, we don't just do Civil War anymore. Um, so those will be on the horizon as well. So Steve, you get a phone call. Hey, we want to do a map book. What goes through your head? Well, first is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, that's always my, I've been talking about that for years as well. You know, hearing you know, back and forth from the um, members, oh, we've loved that with the book because every year during our annual conference, we have a map book basically for the conference itself. And people will say, "Oh, this is great! Can we get you know have one?" So I was really excited for the first time. We said, hey, "We're going to do a map book. This is great." I was, you know, but then the process back and forth. And it, Chris said, "All oh, the little everybody wanted their little bit in there and all that stuff, and trying to you know come up with the right right form." And then finally, we did. So I was I was really happy about that. So were there maps then that you maybe have been thinking like, "Oh, I've always wanted the, the chance to go back and revisit this map or redo this, and now here's a chance for me to do that." Yes, there's quite a few, quite a few of those. You know, just just going through Antietam, I've reworked some Antietam maps. You know, I, this is in the first book. You know, Fredericksburg again, I reworked some Fredericksburg maps. It, all, all types of them in there. You know, there's way too many to trying to remember exactly which ones I did change. Especially the, the, the um, first book is almost almost a year old now. You know, the second the second one we're talking about here, the Western Theater, there was a lot in there. I you know got to go back and Shiloh was a big one. I went back and reworked everything, more detail, more time frames, because I was I was given the, the latitude to do that on, on some of those. Some you know we're, we're still con condensed them all in one bat one map, and some I had latitude to go as many maps as possible. Okay, so Chris, tell us uh, how did the first map book go over once it first came out? Uh, folks were happy. And, and before I answer that one, uh, you know, Steve also has the problem that not only does he finish a map and then we have to go back to him and say, hey, we have this really bad problem. We just saved a bunch of land here, which is a good problem. Uh, okay. But so Steve, sometimes up until we, we get ready, because Steve also does a layout for the books, which makes life a heck of a lot easier on, on both of us, I think. Um, 
Steve actually sometimes has to change the, the maps up until print time. You know, we have to tell our real estate department and John Mitchell, who's our, our silent partner in this, he's always, he works with real estate. So he's always very good about telling us, you know, Hey, we're about to purchase land here. We've purchased land. So that is one thing that, that is different than a traditional map book um, that we're always have to, to update them. And, and that was also another fear of us doing a map book is that we are, you know, we've saved almost 54,000 acres at this point. So by the time we, it goes to press, some of those maps are already out of date when it comes to preservation. Um, so, th so that was something to, to um, consider. But, you know, the first map book went over very well. Our, our members were extremely excited to, to know that we were doing it. Um, you know, we designed it to actually be tear out uh, maps so that, that folks can actually tear out the map. There's three holes punched in it already for them to use their binders because we knew that from their feedback, we do listen to our members, that that's something that they liked. And you don't have to do that with your book, uh, but it was about 100, no, it is 112 pages. Um, and almost all of it is maps. I mean, there's very little text, very few pictures, um, you know, of the 112 pages, uh, you know, the, the, um, you know, you have like eight maps of Gettysburg. There's one page of text for it to give you the background um, and then so on and so forth. As Steve said, you know, some of our battlefields, we'd love to put more maps in there of, um, you know, but it really did come down internally to talk about, you know, what's the, what story are we trying to tell? That's any book and trying to kind of manage expectations because like Steve said with Shiloh, we've done so much work in Tennessee and specifically at Shiloh. I mean, we could have a dozen maps out there or more if we wanted to about the, the stuff that we've done. Um, but the, you know, the members were very excited. We've sold, I think nearly 9,000 copies of the first, first volume of the book. Um, we just got some numbers back the other day and, you know, it was, so popular so quickly that we actually ran out of books by the time we even got it from the printer so many people had pre-ordered it that we had to order a second second batch um and at that point we knew we were going to make a second book because the caveat was if the first book doesn't sell we're not doing volumes two through a thousand we're gonna you know do we're gonna see how this works and and it was so successful so quickly that uh we produced another book in less than a year and the next book that will come out will come in even sooner than that, because they're clamoring for it so much. And if you want to, you want to see that book in person, hopefully, fingers crossed with COVID, and hear Steve speak about that, that'll be at our annual conference this June in Chantilly, Virginia. In fact, we're interrupting you from work on that book to talk about the other book right now. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's a good problem to have. We're, we're very happy that our members like these these maps. Um, you know, I went to put in for the new book yesterday. Well, one of the process people don't understand about books is that you have to register at different places, including the Library of Congress. And I went out to pull biographies for me and, and Steve off the internet. And I mean, Steve's biography is, you know, he's the iconic brand for the Civil War Trust and some other things. Yeah, so it was an older, older one that I found. And I was like, wow, um, you know, this was a third party writing Steve, Steve's biography for him. But they were, they had nothing but great things to say about Steve and his maps. They were very gushing. Um, and that was before the, before we were the American Battlefield Trust and before this new book came out. So Steve, these are handsome, handsome books, um, you know, full size maps, full color, glossy pages. Um, as a guy who, who did the maps, did the layout, what's it like to kind of finally hold that finished product? It, it's, it's always exciting because you got that, it's like your baby's right there in your hand, you know, your new baby. 
know, you, you know, with yourself, you know, if you if ever have you have a new book out, you really want you, know, you want to hold it, you want to show everybody, oh, my book's out here, you know, and people do that all the time. You see them on Facebook and all, you know, all the authors I've, I'm friends with, you know, posting pictures of their brand new book they just finally got in. So, you know, it is, you know, it's always exciting to, to see that, you know. I don't get to see it for a little bit. Yeah, the actual finished copy for, you know, no Chris gets a chance to send me copies down here because I'm not up in North anymore. So, you know, so, you know, and he was, and with COVID, he wasn't in the office all the time. So I always had to wait, you know, a month or two to get, get my copies, but it's uh, always exciting to see on my hand. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. Steve saw the book two days after I did. So, cause when I got my, my book, I um, had our, our intern FedEx it down to Steve because we probably didn't see the book for three weeks. Uh, we had members who had the books before we did because of COVID. Yeah. Um, you know, I saw the final proof. I signed off on all the final proofs. Once I sent it back to the printer, um, that was the last time I saw the book. And then all of a sudden people are like, Hey, the book's out. And Steve and I are like, Hey, we haven't seen the book yet. (laughs) So, you know, I, and I was told I had a box of them sitting in my office, but I still haven't seen that box because I'm still sitting working from home. But I had one of our interns who actually went into the office, um, slipped in one day and sent them to me, Steve, and a few other people who worked on the book. I got my copies. I was thrilled. I mean, it's such a beautiful book. And, uh, uh, so it was just uh, exciting to see. And, and Steve, I, I've got to imagine being as, as intimately involved with the actual creation. Um, you've got a lot more creative control over the book than most people have. So to kind of see it fully realized as you were working on it must be pretty neat. Yeah, it, it is because, you know, it's a, obviously it's a visual thing we're looking at here in this book itself. So it's visually, you know, on my screen, I, you know, I, I know what it's going to look like when it's done. It's, it's still when you still want to have it in your hands, but you know, my other books I've worked with, other than the trust, I've always had, you know, was able to design them and everything, which is always never heard of from authors. You know, usually the authors, they send their copy in, publisher does everything, then you don't, you don't even know what the book even looks like till it comes back, till it's done. At least with me and, you know, like Chris got to see, it, you get to see it um, evolution the whole time, you know, laying out the pages, you know, oh, this is too much text, it's not enough text, or the map's not fitting just right, or too many maps, you know. So I get to see it all, you know, before it was done. So it was like, but still to hold it in your hand is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we've been gushing about the maps, but I'm going to gush about the text for a second. And, and Chris is oh, yeah. the author for all that. Um, what I really loved about both of these books, the, the Eastern and the, the Western books, was that, you know, you've got a map on the left or the right hand page. You've got text about the map on the left hand page. And so like, it's a, a fantastic succinct summation of, this battle or that battle and and you know you get the whole overview of the war in one particular theater in a really digestible easy to read easy to understand synopsis i just thought it was fantastic uh, as a as a summary of the war i appreciate that you've trained me well padawan i guess i'm the padawan i should say um you know and chris actually helped helped with the the proofreading um and and but the hard part for me, and it kind of goes back to what I said about the, you know, maps being a snapshot, um, you know, sometimes we're telling in 500-ish words the entire Gettysburg campaign, um, you know, and, and we try to do that in four minutes in a video, it's hard. So to do it in 500 to 550 words or less, it, it, it can be difficult because what you're trying to do is not only talk about the battle, but set the context of, you know, what the battle is, is within, you know, here in 1863 for the summer of 1863, say for Gettysburg or Vicksburg, um, you know, what's going on in these different various places. And, and that was a little bit 
challenging because um, I believe he, Steve sent me back a few times, too much text. And, and it's like, he's right. <laughs> it's like, Oh, now what babies do I kill in this? Um, <laughs> it's really a, a, a story, you know, it's really a hard thing to, to come up with, you know, Steve's maps um, do tell the story of the battles largely themselves. I mean, you know, I, I'm a map person so that, it's probably easy for me to say um, I can visualize a battle very easily coming off of a map. Not everyone can. So that's why we have the text there. Um, and so it, it's nice to have it where we can tell the narrative flow of what happened from point A, B and C. And then Steve's, you know, visuals absolutely uh, are the star. You know, when I wrote the introduction of both the books, I mean, I mean it, the maps are the star of the book. My text is, is the, the easy part in most ways, because it's like, uh, he's, he's got all the hard work to do, <laughs> but it's, but it, it's, um, it, I think it turned out well. I think we do tell a, a narrative arc through it, at least through both, both volumes. Um, and hopefully we'll do that with our, our third volume as well. So you guys kind of got one book under your belt when you did the Eastern book. Um, how was it different to work on the Western book? It was easier for me internally because now we had something to say, hey, look, we made it happen. We can do it again. And uh, let us, we told you we know what we we're talking about. We got it, you know, and that, that kind of made life a little easier. Um, and believe me, they've given us a lot of leeway. David Duncan, our, our new president, who was the head of development at the time, um, you know, he gave us a, a wide berth and, you know, he knew what we knew we were doing and go, go forth. And that was very nice. Um, he knew we had the vision and, and we can uh, execute it. And we proved it. So I think that made it easier. It didn't make it any easier choosing the maps, um, you know, no. especially out West with the amount of lands we've saved in places like Kentucky and Tennessee and Mississippi. Um, I do think that that was the hardest part was narrowing down again, where we have been prolific in land preservation, but where we have not been, but yet that's important to the overarching story. Steve, how about you? How was, how was working on the Western book different than working on the Eastern book? Well, one thing I didn't have to hear, you know, from Chris or John, you know, how all the nuances, everybody, well, we want to do this, 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 you know, all the fighting back and forth with the first book. Yeah. Obviously we were settled in. So again, it was just like Chris said, was picking out what maps we, we need, you know, to fit into our format. How many maps you wanted for each battle? So Chris would send me a list of battles. I think the battlefield we want to say we're going to put in the book. So I would go through and say, well, can we do this in three maps here? This is two maps, one map. Just throughout the whole process like that. So and that's what we're doing for our next book too. We have the same thing. It's 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 easier. Well, my and again, like Chris said I wasn't there, part of all the the little fighting back and forth of what people wanted their input on the new first book. So it was for me. It was almost the same process. What's something about the Western book that each of you like in particular? I'll go first. Um, go for I like my my Shiloh maps. I think my you know I really got some nice detail. I feel in the Shiloh maps itself. So that was one of my favorite ones to work on. Yeah, I think it's Port Hudson. Um, you know, it's a fascinating almost trans-Mississippi story that just slips inside of the Western theater um, that I thought was very interesting. Um, and I thought that we found our stride with book two, you know, and that kind of happens with series. Um, and I thought that the narrative flow with this one, um, even though the first one I thought was good, I thought that the narrative flow is very, very happy with, with the way that went. Um, 
in the maps overall, I mean, there are a few maps that we had Steve create out of the blue, uh, including Spanish Fort and Fort Blakely down in um, down in Mobile. Um, you know, and Fort Blakely's a, a really cool site to to go out to, um, to and it's you know, the end of the Mobile campaign, most people think of Damn the Torpedoes. And that's in the book too, which is actually a really cool map, um, which which is Fort Gaines uh, and Fort Morgan, and as well as, you know, David Farragut. Uh, but the other end of the story, Mobile doesn't fall until basically April of 1865, you know, and that action happened in August. So to have it fall, you have to have a, another battle that takes place up at Spanish Fort and Fort Blakely. And I thought those maps were probably the most challenging uh, from my perspective to give to Steve, because I didn't have a lot of information to give him. I gave him the best maps that were out there and they weren't that good. Um, and there's not a lot of uh, firsthand information, even though it is a, a, a siege. I don't know what you thought about that, Steve, but I thought they turned out well. Yes, you are correct. They were very challenging to work on itself. I, you know, pulling, especially Fort Blakely, and in Spanish Fort, Spanish Fort wasn't as bad as a, a Fort Blakely. That one, because I did Fort Blakely a while ago, but the detail wasn't that much. I was able to find more stuff and add more detail to that as much as possible so we can really show the property we saved at Fort Blakely, why it was important then too. You know, so if you, if you ever, ever pulled up one of my old maps of Fort Blakely from the trust archives is in compared to the new one here, it's you know, 180 on that especially detail the people can go online and still get a bunch of your maps for free when you updated them for the book did you put those updated maps online or are people kind of stuck with the last version before the print no we're always we're always updating the maps online is constantly you know, or i i when the book is this that book was done i go ahead and you know i upload all the maps to um you know to our site itself and then they get put onto the web you know so like the new uh, every end of everyone so every all the new ones go there so they get they get up on the uh, web right away oh, cool. cool yeah it's a full-time job sometimes putting those maps up, up whenever we have a project like this because we created for the book or steve created but 70 some odd maps um so even if the maps were up there they needed to be updated right so here's the uh, the Spanish Fort and Fort Blakely map uh, you were talking about. Chris, you want to kind of walk us through this a little bit? Yeah, I mean it, it's a really it's a really interesting battle that takes place uh, just outside of of Mobile Bay, and I know the map sideways on here, but um, you know it, it's a it is one of the last actions to take place and the major actions to take place in the Civil War. It's taking place in conjunction with uh, the Appomattox campaign, the fall of Petersburg, the Appomattox campaign. Um, and it's, you know, we're talking about uh, a place that is today par partially developed and partially a, a really cool park, state park down there. Um, and what we gave Steve, I mean, you can see the, the lines here. Um, the best we, we could come up with uh, for the base map, at least for me to send over to him, came from the Atlas of the Civil War. And that was tough to read because it was even a small, very con confusing looking map from that point. So I think that it, it what Steve put together here worked out very, very well. And if I'll uh, jump up to uh, Fort Fisher is the other map that I thought was really cool that, that Steve did. We didn't save land at Fort Fisher. It, 
good portion of it, as you can see, is in the ocean, uh, in the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, and then part of the fort was made into a World War II airstrip. Uh, so, you know, the preservation down there, well before the trust even existed, you know, it, this was a, a, a almost, a, I would, wouldn't call it a fully lost battlefield, but it was a battlefield that was, um, you know, being taken back by Mother Nature as well as the military. But it's a really awesome map to show what happened during the second battle of Fort Fisher. For the first battle is a complete disaster with Ben Butler. So that's all you have to say is Ben Butler. Uh, but he tries to float a, a, a ship, a fire ship into the into the rebel works and have it explode. And then he's going to land troops and then pfft, it doesn't work. The ship blows up too early. But the second uh, advance on, on Fort Fisher is much more robust. It's put together with a, a great combined um, naval operation. It's the largest naval operation, joint operation between the Army Navy uh, for an amphibious landing from sea until you get into the First World War. Um, so this is a really interesting battle. And Steve, I think, did a great job of not only building a map, but building a map on land that no longer exists. For being a land preservation group to uh, have some water maps is actually pretty cool. Um, Chris, do you mind scrolling down the page just a little bit? Because one of the features I think is really cool about this book, notice here at the bottom of what's labeled as page 94, it says, today the American Battlefield Trust has not saved any land at Fort Fisher Battlefield. And I really like that feature about this book because A, it's just optimistic sounding. To date, we haven't, but there's always that opportunity. And B, it's like, as Chris mentioned earlier, like this is not a place where they have, have saved land, but it's so central to the story that they have done the service to readers of putting the battle in the book so that we've got a comprehensive view of, of what's going on in the theater. Uh, and I just think that was a really great service to readers to be able to kind of fill that kind of stuff in. Uh, elsewhere in the book, at the bottom of the page, it might say, today we've saved 345 acres or, or such like here, you know, uh, 520 acres at Aversboro. And that's highlighted on the map so that people can see, um, you know, I've donated money to this battlefield. Here's how the trust has been a good steward of that money. And they've highlighted things. I can go and walk the land and see it. Um, so there's just a lot of neat features about the book that really highlight that preservation mission um, that underscores kind of why these books exist in the first place. And Steve does a great job. If you look down in our legends, um, you know, and read a legend of a map. I think that people don't often do that enough. Um, look at the legend. You can see all the preservation groups that have worked uh, to help preserve here in Aversboro. Uh, Bentonville's the same way, Shiloh. You know, sometimes it's just us. Sometimes it's a, it's a whole, you know, um, coming together of different groups to try to, to work and save these lands. Because we can't do it without our partners, especially local partners on the ground. And to pull back the curtain for a moment for, for Fort Fisher, that's totally an author slash editor um, purview. I like the battle, so I wanted to write about the battle. So that's why the map's there and why we wrote about it. Is, is it integral to the story of the Western theater? Yes, because I said it was. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that was an enjoyable one to work on too. I mean, trying to come up with showing the, with the, uh, where the land is now compared to what it was back then. That was, that was fun to work with. This map, I think, also illustrates um, a really key point and why land preservation is so important in the first place. And then how kind of having the battlefield and the map in conjunction with each other lets one illuminate the other. If we look at Fort Fisher and, and kind of look over where uh, Edelbert Ames makes his assault sort of on the, right down the middle of the map, 
And you could look at the map and be like, oh, look, that was so easy. But if you actually go walk the ground and see what a miserable marsh that was that they had to cross and how they're storming the gates of the fort, um, being on the ground lets you understand just how difficult these swooping arrows really were in real time, um, which is something that you can't appreciate. But if you're on the ground and you're sort of trying to puzzle that out, having that map, that makes it go like, oh, wow, this is, now this makes sense. So they're, they're tools that work in, in strong conjunction with each other for understanding what's going on in any place. Yeah, and, and as, as Steve said, and you said, Chris, you know, our maps are online at battlefields.org. Um, I do a lot of text uh, on our website for them. Uh, you know, we do have sometimes more maps than you actually would see in this book. Um, you know, and what we try to do is update them. As Steve updates them, we try to update them on, on the website. And, you know, that's the best approach to it. And it's not only for the historical standpoint, but again, it's for the preservation standpoint, because those maps are most likely updated, not always because of history, but most likely because we preserved land at a place and we have to, to you know, account for that and show our members, you know, how we're, we're spending their money. So you guys uh, a couple of times have alluded to the next book. Are you guys able to, to share any details this time? Top secret? Oh, it's not top secret. Um, yeah. I, it's uh, it's coming soon, uh, but we just got the cover back uh, two days ago now, um, and it'll be the battle maps of the American Revolution. So Steve is diligently, believe me, diligently working on about 70 odd maps for this book. He sent us uh, about 38 maps the other day, which uh, are reviewed by historians. This isn't just something we do internally. It's not just something I do. Um, you know, we talk to the experts about these battles, the battlefields. We send them out to many people. I sent Steve, uh, you know, an eight page report from a few historians who went through these and, and Steve will look at the changes that they suggested. Sometimes they make suggestions, sometimes they don't, but we will be covering the entire story of the American Revolution from Lexington and Concord um, through Yorktown and, you know, hitting the, the high, high notes and low points, lots of low points during the American Revolution for the Americans. Um, but again, you know, this will be another book where we, we include battlefields that we have not preserved land. Um, the cover that you're seeing here is Saratoga. This is in upstate New York. We have preserved land there. Um, so, and, and the map that's at the bottom that is on the front here is a, is a section of one of Steve's maps that is showing the Battle of Brandywine, which is just south of Philadelphia. Uh, and it is a stunning British success, not a American success. That's actually during the Philadelphia campaign. Uh, the nation's capital for the first time will fall to a foreign enemy. And both times it'll be Great Britain. Um, but they will take Philadelphia uh, there in 1777. Not a good year for the Americans. And Brandywine is another place where we preserved a significant amount of land. Uh, Yorktown down at the southern campaigns and places like Cowpens, Camden, uh, Kings Mountain will include those those battlefields. So you'll see a lot of places you've heard of, some places you may not have heard of. Uh, and then Steve, like I said, is working diligently on the maps. Very good. That's exciting. So, um, so you said there may be more down the road. If you guys each had the chance to like, what's one map you hope that you get to work on someday that you're having so far, what might that, that map be? Hmm. Uh, so, I know that's hard to think. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, I, I was going to say uh, probably a Banks's Ford map 
a good Banks's Ford map for the Chancellorsville slash Salem Church slash Banks Ford campaign there. Um, you know, we have a, a decent map for our book, but I wouldn't like the map for it. Yeah, um, it's for myself. I'm not really sure if there's any one particular one, you know, I want to see map because, you know, normally mine is like, we've, we've done quite a few. I mean, a, a lot of maps. I like, to, my, my thing is I like to make them more detailed if possible. You know, if I can break that map out into more time, you know, one instead of one map have five or six maps of that battle. So you get more minute details in there as they're really moving. But our new one coming out was um, American Revolution. I had like, I think one or two maps for battle um, Monmouth uh, Courthouse in New Jersey. Now I broke it into at least four because you know, four phases. And it it's I have more detail when there's four phases than having those one map. You know, so that's what I really personally like to do: have more detail on a map itself. That's what I love about your troop movement maps in Spotsylvania, you know, uh, and you can almost kind of flip through them like a flip book and see motion over the course of days. And that lets you get so much more detail and, and so much more um, minute in what you're up to there. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons that, that we can't pull back the curtain a little bit, we can't always go into the detail because, you know, me, I'm a total detail guy when it comes to battlefields uh, is it, simply the, the mailing cost of it, you know, printing and mailing cost. Uh, you know, that's something that we have to take into consideration every time we do an appeal how many maps should we we produce um and then x amount will have to be printed uh and then they'll have to be mailed so the the more that we add to it you know that's more overhead that is not going back to preserving the battlefields uh you know in the long run these maps are our bread and butter they they help people visualize they can see where the troops were and everything but that that's one thing that these books i agree with steve have been great about we've been able to get into some more minute detail, especially about the Revolutionary War, which I mean, you're talking about much smaller battle scales, but, uh, you know, really cool troop movements. Steve, I'll ask you real quick, um, since you yeah. talked about uh, a map you might want to do, is there a map that you hope you never have to see again? <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. I mean, I all of them I do enjoy working on. I did work, enjoy working on all of them. Some were a little more challenging than others, but overall, no, I think I would work on any of them again, you know. Very good. So if someone wants to get a hold of battle maps of the Civil War, either the Eastern or the Western theater, uh, Chris, how can people get these books? So uh, both both books are available at battlefields.org. You can come over to our website and, and click on our store. Um, battle Maps Volume 1 is available on Amazon. Uh, volume two will be going to Amazon any day now, uh, so they can head over to amazon.com. Uh, but battlefields.org, you can come over, you can buy all kinds of fun swag. Um, I'm still trying to get the Gary Adelman 8x10 signed glossy uh, headshots on there. I think those would be the best sellers in the store, but he hasn't he hasn't uh, gone down that road yet. I also think we should get the Gary stand-ups too. Yeah, yeah can... like the cardboard cutout. And yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. People totally. Are... I think we should we should have those. He needs the 3D glasses on there too. <laughs> Those are sold separately. <laughs> I think to get like a standstill thing of Gary though is so anti-Gary since he's always in motion. That would be you'd have to get something that was just a blur. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but we do have over at battlefolds.org. Um, and then 
you know, this, our, our map book uh, is set to, our next one, volume three, is set to come out in June of 2021. Um, and like I said, Steve will actually be at our annual conference uh, speaking about the production of our, our maps that we have. I say ours because, you know, a bunch of people go into them, but they really are Steve's maps. I mean, and if it wasn't for Steve, we wouldn't be known to, to so many people. And I think he does a, just a fantastic job. Um, and Steve, I have to say, is a fantastic cartographer to work with because Steve is like, all right, we'll change it. <laughs> like, hey, this is, we, we send him a send him something like, hey, th this was wrong because we do get feedback, like Steve said, and and Steve's always very gracious in taking the hey, we got this wrong, you know, on this map and and with the with the book itself too. It's like, oh, here's the updated text. Oh, here I tweaked the text again. Oh, I tweaked it for a third time, and he's always like, all right, I'll take care of it. So. It's been it's been very nice to have um, someone who's really chill to work with. Unlike Thank Chris Mikowski. Yeah. <laughs> so as Chris alluded, you know, we do get, you know, changes back and everything from you know comments back from our, our members and all. Sometimes is they, they are correct. We did miss something, sometimes they aren't. I mean, I've you know, just a case in point, you know, one particular battle, someone said, Well, my you know, uh, relative's uh, regiment was there in the battle. Yeah, but you didn't have one there. So I pulled up the stuff and found out the reg that the day of the battle, the reg that regiment was guarding wagons. They weren't in the battle. Even though they might have been in that brigade, they weren't, you know, they weren't in the battle. So sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. Yeah. And, and we've had people who said that they fought at the battle and the unit's not even in that theater. Um, we did have that one recently too. That was a that, that was a good one. Um that we had but you know and, and we do have gremlins in the book i know with, with uh mm -hmm. every once in a while we we it's like you know how it happens you edit the book 30 times and then it comes in print and as soon as you open the first page it's like oh look i screwed that up um you know yep. so so every once in a while you know if we go through our next printing uh for volume one there's definitely a map that we'll just need to swap out and there's it's minor you know probably most people would notice it but you know on the antietam map we have to change one thing um you know so it's and you know, if you do have suggestions, be kind. You don't need to be snarky. It's everyone's it's, trying their hardest. Yeah. Their yes. yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh we're all on the same team here. We want to get it right. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's kind of one of the cool things about you know the maps being living organisms in some way is like you can make those changes and slap them up on the website and so people can still get the most up-to-date thing if they uh, if they're really dying for it. So yeah, that's what makes up the trust unique, I think, because, you know, when, when we print books, yes, it's going to be static. That's the way we have to live with it. But with the, a lot of our maps, um, you know, the ones that especially didn't make it into the books. Yeah, if something's wrong, we can we can change it. And, you know, as fast as the Internet uploads it, it's correct. Well, Steve, you know, and I'll just end with the, the I think what is the best testament It's on the back cover of the books. I just love those maps you guys send me. And I know people say that over and over. Um, people are just crazy about these maps and it's so, so nice to see them collected in, in such a beautiful book, uh, a great testament to the service that you have provided to the Civil War community. I really think it's fantastic. Well, thank you, Chris, for that. That was, you know, it's been my pleasure to work on these maps. It's been my pleasure to talk to you on this as well. So great, great. Well, Steve, thanks for joining me today. Chris, thanks for joining me today. Uh, everyone, um, check these out, battlefields.org. You can see Steve's great maps, Chris's great text, and the great work that the American Battlefield Trust is doing to preserve your battlefields. And I'm Chris Mikowski. We will see you online and on the battlefield.
And thanks today to our engineer, Jackson Mikowski, for the work he does putting things together. Thanks, too, to the Second South Carolina String Band for our theme music. You can find them online at www.civilwarband.com. And don't forget to join us online at emergingcivilwar.com. 30 of us spreading the gospel of the American Civil War, helping people stay connected with what we see as America's defining event Lots of free content every day, and we'd love to have you part of that conversation, www.emergingcivilwar.com. On behalf of my ECW co-founder, Chris White, and cartographer extraordinaire, Steve Stanley, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm Chris Mikowski. We will see you online and on the battlefield. <laughs>